when there's a threat to failure, <laughs> we default to not taking action, right? Because then we protect ourselves, our own self-image. And, you know, if we don't try, we don't have to fail. So when it starts to turn for that, what you're shooting for is actually preventing you from getting anything out the door. Uh, that's when you really have to look at not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Do you suffer from perfectionism? Maybe you haven't launched your course yet because the idea of launching anything less than absolutely perfect doesn't work for you in your mind. Or maybe it's something much less than an entire course. Maybe you're struggling to get that next TikTok video or marketing email or blog post out because it's just not perfect. Or maybe you're procrastinating these things. Well, fortunately, my guest today is here to help us break through procrastination and perfectionism to actually get results in our business so we can impact more people and make more money. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty good to me. Hey out there, I'm Jacques Hopkins. I'm your host here on the Online Course Show, and welcome to episode 192. Here on this podcast, we talk about all things online courses, and more often than not, we have a guest, some kind of subject matter expert, and in this case, we have somebody that is going to talk to us about overcoming perfectionism and procrastination, and we're also going to talk about her story as it relates to her course around those things as well. But first, are you looking for a formula to implement with your own online course business? Maybe you're just getting started and you're looking for a proven roadmap to follow, or maybe you have a course business already and you're looking to scale. Well, either way, I want to get you going down a proven path with a proven formula. For that, please go check out my free training, the online course business formula. It is literally exactly how my online course business, Piano in 21 Days, is set up and how lots of other successful online course businesses are set up. If you're struggling with courses, this may be exactly what you need, maybe exactly the missing piece for finding success with your online course business. To find that free training, it's an on-demand training, go to ocformula.com. That stands for onlinecourseformula.com to check out the online course business formula. So as far as today, in this conversation you're about to hear, I had on Grace Broder, who is an expert in helping people overcome perfectionism and procrastination. She talks about how procrastination isn't so much a time management issue as it is more of an emotional issue, which is really interesting. She talks about how it's really hard to create and follow a map at the same time, meaning that if you're actually going to move forward with something like an online course business, you first need a proven plan, then you need to follow that plan. Otherwise, procrastination can creep in at the first sign of problems. But not only are you going to hear about Grace's tools and whatnot to help in those areas, 
but she has a thriving, a wildly successful course and coaching business in these areas. So we're going to hear from her story as it relates to starting her own course and coaching business as well in just the past two years. Two years ago, she was starting from scratch. She started the right way. She started with building an audience and then she started coaching people one-on-one. She added a coaching program and then she added a course and she's really gone about this the right way and has been just wildly successful in a very short amount of time. So we're really hitting this episode from two angles. We're getting Grace to help us with the perfectionism and the procrastination, but also getting inspiration from her story as it relates to her own info business, info product business. At the end of the day, I really feel like succeeding with some sort of online course business, digital product business can be actually very, very simple. Not necessarily easy, and we'll talk about that in this conversation, but it can be pretty simple. And one of the things I love most about Grace and her story is just how simple her overall business model is. She's really helping people, but she has a very simple traffic strategy. She's got very simple funnels. She's got simple programs. And it all just works and it really helps people. And she makes a lot of money in the process as well. So lots and lots of great things to take from this conversation. So without further ado, here is the full conversation between myself and Grace Broder. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Thanks for having me. So let's let's start this way. Just simply, like, who is it that you help and what do you help them accomplish? I help people, working professionals who are struggling with procrastination tendencies, and those procrastination tendencies usually have an impact on how much work they're able to do, how much income they're able to make, and uh, whether or not they're able to make a transition. But it all comes down to the same thing. People don't avoid actions, they avoid feelings, and I help them with moving through that. So I want to kind of unpack both sides of that equation there. You said working professional. So what does that exactly mean? I I, I kind of assumed you helped entrepreneurs, maybe small business owners, but you're using the word working professionals. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I'm glad you make this distinction because a lot of my content serves working professionals. People can have any type of a job. All of my content will still be relevant to them. But in terms of who I support in my main program, that comes down to uh, an entrepreneur typically because entrepreneurs have to wear a lot of hats. They also have a lot of time that they could potentially save. And so I've built a more niched program around that. Mm-hmm. However, anyone who is uh, working day to day or even studying uh, can benefit from doing this work. So what about like a stay-at-home mom who doesn't have a traditional job, but they still need to, you know, do the laundry and cook and clean and, you know, take care of the kids and make sure their homework is done? Could you help them too? Yeah, it's the, it, if they're struggling with the core root, which is usually perfectionism, or you're not feeling like you're doing a good enough job and your self-talk is negatively impacting what you do day to day. People don't just procrastinate stuff at work, although that's usually more painful thing to avoid because there's people coming at you for deadlines. Um, Your work has a huge impact on your life, but people also can procrastinate taxes. People can procrastinate cleaning. Uh, It's definitely still applicable to them. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can give you an example that does that does hurt, that does feel like uh, it can be painful from personal life. Is like I got my daughter a ukulele for Christmas last year. May have even been two years ago, and, and I don't personally really play ukulele. I mean, you know, piano is my main instrument, but it's it's a four stringed instrument. Like it's not that complicated. Like I could teach her a few chords. She loves to like perform and sing, and so I would love to to get her started with an instrument and like. To be honest with you, I feel like I've kind of procrastinated that, and she doesn't know how to play ukulele yet, even though she's had it for a long time. Could you help me with that problem, too? Yeah, of course. It all comes down to whatever thought patterns are running and the background of your mind, which a lot of people don't take a look at. But if it were for the example of the ukulele, it might be something like, well, I don't know where to start. And a lot of people are where to start or what's the best way to start. A lot of people get stuck at that point and then they put it off and then they blame themselves feeling like they're lazy <laughs> um, instead of digging into why, uh, why they're feeling overwhelmed at the beginning. So on the other side of the equation, you didn't use the word simply procrastination. You specifically said procrastination tendencies. Why do you throw in the word tendencies? Hmm. Because there, uh, people mostly recognize procrastination, and this is what I have become this subject matter expert in. However, when you have procrastination, it's usually a it's a symptom, um, and there are a lot of things that come with it, a lot of other tendencies, and so I. Uh, I add that on because usually it's not just you're avoiding certain things. You might be uh, avoiding confrontation. Um, you might be people pleasing. You might be uh, struggling with all or nothing thinking, which is very common for procrastinators, uh, the tendency to think in extremes. And, um, oh, I, I want, for example, to start an online course. Well, I need this, 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 and this. Um, uh, and I don't even know what platform to get on. Right. And then it escalates black and white, all or nothing. And then you don't start it. So when I say tendencies, it's everything that comes with this particular symptom, which is not even the root problem. Uh, it's just what's usually appearing. So is it norm when you're helping somebody, uh, to achieve this outcome, is it, is it normally kind of the same core problems or is everybody everybody different i know you've, you've mentioned a few different things but at the end of the day is it kind of the same thing over and over again yeah a lot of it comes back to the same core problem and that core problem is usually how we talk to ourselves um, and it's a self-worth uh piece self-worth piece in addition to a resistance to feeling certain feelings. So, so can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So it's no coincidence that a lot of people who put things off also struggle with uh, some confidence around that. And um, I think that as you put things off more and more, your perception of yourself starts to decrease your perception of your ability to do, to work on it decreases um and when you uh 
when you start to negative self-talk, it's decreasing your likelihood of actually getting started. Um, so that's that's one part of it. Is that going back to uh, your own reflection of like your self-worth matters a whole lot more than most people think it does. Are you are you basically saying that it kind of snowballs on itself and like the longer it takes for you to get started, the more difficult it, it becomes? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a negative feedback cycle. Um, so does that mean we need to give ourselves permission to, I guess, not be perfect is what we're getting down to it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a take imperfect action um, and to not have it all figured out uh, certainly can help you a ton. But when we put stuff out there to the world, podcasts, courses, YouTube videos, uh, a simple Instagram real video, I, I mean, personally, I want it to be as perfect as possible, right? I want it to be as good as possible. So how do we, uh, which, you know, obviously perfection is, is not um, actually possible. Where do you draw the line with, with this type of stuff in terms of um, making it as good as possible versus actually getting something out there to the world? I think the turning point is usually when that perfectionism, like that want to make it perfect is impeding you from putting anything out there to begin with. And so sometimes it, we look at perfectionism. Uh, I used to even on interviews say, oh, we like, what's your biggest strength? I'm a perfectionist. So sometimes we look at this standard as very healthy and very positive. And uh, in the process of embracing it too much, uh, it becomes almost overwhelming to compete with what that standard is. When there's a threat to failure, <laughs> we default to not taking action, right? Because then we protect ourselves, our own self-image. And, you know, if we don't try, we don't have to fail. So when it starts to turn for that, what you're shooting for is actually preventing you from getting anything out the door. Uh, that's when you really have to look at not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and I think there is a difference between uh, <laughs> having healthy standards and having no standards and then having like unrealistic standards. Um, and I think what people don't realize is that when you ditch perfectionism, it doesn't mean that you go out and you have zero <laughs> zero filter with maybe what you release, if that's a reel or a course or whatever. It's that you allow yourself to have iterations later on to get to what might be the most optimal course or reel. Um, and that you allow it to be a little messy in the beginning rather than needing all your ducks lined up <laughs> at the start. And then you never actually start. One of the one of the nice things uh, being in the the industry that I'm in with with all this just digital products and digital stuff is is and I'm coaching people and and I can sense that somebody is maybe not putting something out there because of the the uh, quest for perfectionism is you can always iterate use that word iteration and compare that to something physical like like writing a book i feel like we do need to get that like writing a book to as perfect as possible because it's so hard to iterate that sure you can come out with second revisions and whatnot but it's so much more complicated and difficult to do that but with digital stuff uh, with courses 
we can just make another version if we need to. So all the more important to get something out there, get a little bit of market feedback, and then make the the next version. It sounds like you agree with that premise. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good point that you raise that some things do need to get to this level of perfect, and that's where I would look at the fact that most of people's the biggest problem is getting started often, and that when you're going in with this. Uh, this idea that, hey, I, I need to achieve perfect now, then our brain gets overwhelmed. When you think about you have nothing in front of you and you think about writing a perfect book, of course, you're going to procrastinate because you're going to be writing and you're going to hate sometimes what you're writing or you're going to not know what comes next or you're going to think that, oh my gosh, it's going to take so long to get to where I want to be. And all of these overwhelming thoughts, they make us feel uncomfortable. And then we procrastinate by doing something that will distract us from that feeling. So in this instance, uh, you have to embrace the messy action to get started. And then your iterations take place. So for the book example, you would have iterations uh, before it was released. But you would allow yourself to have drafts and imperfect chapters before then, because then your brain's not so overwhelmed. It's like, oh, we can get behind writing uh, a few paragraphs today that, you know, may or may not be in the final copy. So that, that makes sense. The only question I would have about that is, you know, Stephen Covey says, begin with the end of my, in mind. That's one of the, the seven habits, right? So you're not suggesting we don't think about, you know, the, the, the final product, the end ultimately what do we want it to to be or are you just you just have ways to i guess process that i think you need a vision of where you're going for certain it's that you but you don't i think that we get uncomfortable when we're we feel like we're eons behind that <laughs> and um it takes you know it's going to be so long before we get there it Think of um, a lot of people, for example, take up working out and we go in and we have all this motivation of what we want our end product to be, you know, this great body. And then we get disappointed uh, when we're not there after a few weeks and then we give up and then we internalize that. Oh, oh, I just can't stick with something. Um, So that would be an example of where you do have the vision, right? But you get you're going to get frustrated in the process. It's going to take time to get there. Um, for this example of going back to the book, I would say, have a vision of maybe where you want this book to go. But when you think about day to day, you always have to be selling yourself on the next step. Otherwise, your motivation may not meet you there. Um, if it's thinking about all the steps that you need to take in order to get to that perfect vision. So let's, let's pretend for a second, if you don't mind, and let's say that, uh, I'm somebody, you know, listening to this podcast and I have an idea for a course. I want to, I want to make a cooking course and I've had this idea for years actually, and I'm struggling to get started because, you know, I know I need to make the course and just making the course is, is daunting. 
Um, just thinking about that part, but I know that it's not that simple either because I've also got to market the course. I've also got to be able to sell the course. Do I need to have a virtual assistant? Like I'm talking about starting an entire business. It's a lot of things. So if that type of person is coming to you and saying, Hey, Grace, like I've had this idea for years. Like I just, and I haven't made any progress with it. Help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they're in that case, I, what's probably getting, having them stuck is all the decisions that they have to make and all the unknowns. I think anyone who enters into entrepreneurship knows that there's no clear book in front of you for the exact business usually that you're trying to make with all the perfect answers. And so the beginning is often the most, the choppiest part of it, right? So uh, when it comes to this particular person, they want to build a cooking course, uh, but they haven't been doing it. I would start with uh, something again that, okay, they have the broader vision, right? That's checkbox. They want a course that uh, helps people cook. I mean, and actually why? makes money. And makes actually, money. Exactly. Yeah, okay, we got that in mind. Um, now, the path to get there starts with probably a rough draft of what you want, uh, what you think your user needs to go through in order to uh, get to the end goal of where you want to be. Um, and starting with that <laughs> seems a bit more doable than making every single decision that you need to or knowing every single thing about, okay, what platform do I need help? What, how do I film? All those things. And so it goes back to the same principle of you have to sell yourself on the next step. Um, this one being that just writing, beginning with a rough draft of what your content will be. And it, when you go and sit down and you think about that, like a much smaller version of what you want to accomplish then it's easier for you to get started. And once you get building with that, it's the reverse effect of, like, remember the negative feedback cycle? Now it's almost a positive feedback cycle where you're like, okay, now I've outlined that. Increase a little bit of confidence in my ability. Okay, what's the next thing I need to, to do at this point? The next clearest step. Okay, I need to pick uh, a platform. Okay, maybe spend an afternoon deciding which one's best for you. Okay, next thing, I need to um, I need to actually film this content. Wait, let me learn that piece. But you see how it's almost you're chunking it down so that it's easier for you to get behind doing it because it's it's hard for our brain to create and follow a map at the same time. So when people are usually fall like feeling overwhelmed, it's one of the first things I come back to is. What's the next thing that you need to do and how can you make that a bit more tangible so that your brain can get behind it? It's almost like you continuously have to coach yourself. It's hard to create and follow a map at the same time. That makes, I've never thought about it like that before, but that makes a, a lot of sense. Even if it's, uh, even if it's a almost complete map, maybe there's a little bit of pieces missing it's, I think it's difficult to follow, like finish the map and follow it at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it basically doesn't have to be a perfectly outlined map, but if you have something that you're following, I mean, we think about it. Uh, I have a bunch of people who come to me and they're procrastinating and they're lazy. They feel they're lazy. Sorry. And, uh, I'll ask them usually, okay, well, what about more straightforward work? Do you put that off? 
but you know exactly what you need to do. And they're usually saying no. It's always when there's a creative process involved or when there's a negative feeling attached to it. Maybe that's boredom. (laughs) Maybe that is overwhelm. Maybe your energy is spent and you're feeling burnt out. So you're trying to preserve it. But when things are more straightforward, we usually sit down and we do them. Um, and so if you can introduce some of that, that whole principle of, you know, when you have a, a place to go, uh, it makes it a bit easier, um, makes it a bit easier for your brain to follow that map. And how, again, like what goes through your head when you sit down is important to be aware of because you might be saying, well, I have no idea what to do. I have nowhere, like no idea where to start. And if our thoughts are causing how we're feeling, we're going to immediately start to feel overwhelmed, uh, clueless, dumb, whatever it may be. And we're going to want to get away from that. But instead you're saying, I don't have to know how to do everything today. I just have to focus on this piece. Then that part of us can quiet a little bit. Our anxiety can go down <laughs> and we can actually start taking action. Well, for this example, for courses and whatnot, I mean, basically what you're saying is they need to sign up for my coaching program because that's the map that they need. And then all their problems are going to be solved. (laughs) Yes, I'm here to pitch you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So do you deal with today? Like, do you deal with any of this procrastination, these procrastination tendencies, or is it completely gone for you? That's a great question. Zone that I get every now and then is, are you just, you cured all this? You sit down and you immediately work on something. Um, I will say that I have usually, I have a lot less resistance um, to working on things than before I did all this work, before I, I worked on the perfectionism, my own perfectionism blocks, my, uh, the feelings caught up with it, uh, with usually avoiding actions and potential failures, they've all gone down. So that's helped me tremendously. But I think it would be quite a lie to say that, you know, you will never have, you know, a certain task that you don't want to do ever again. I think that's pretty hard for people, but it's how you handle that when it comes up. And so for me, I can recognize, oh, you know, for example, I need to Recently, I needed to build a new program. I noticed I had a little resistance to it because there's an element of uncertainty when you start something new. Uh, But instead of ending there, I then go back to my tools of, okay, how do I reduce overwhelm? How do I get myself behind this task? And then that time it takes from when you have an idea to do something to when you are actually executing, that shrinks tremendously when you know what tools to call on and what might help you. Um, so yeah, to answer it in twofold, significantly less than how it was before. And if I ever do notice that resistance comes up, resistance comes up, I know how to handle it. So you, do you just basically have a, a list of tools for people and the tools that work best are going to vary from uh, on a case by case basis? Yeah, it is a that is a, a good way to put it in short. But a lot of the tool, again, is just it's your own mindset, <laughs> your own mindset and ability to deal with feelings. And it's not like there's one software tool that can necessarily cure all that. 
Um, but there are a few that can definitely help. How did you get started helping people with this? When I wanted to build my own business, I noticed that I said year after year, this is the year I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I I also noticed when I would start to think about it, I had that very same catastrophizing where for example, I wanted to I wanted to start a blog at one point. In my mind went to well, if I start a blog, okay, let me look at what other people have for blogs. Oh, I'm never going to get there. You think oh, I have to write, you know, 50 articles right now before I even make this live. And I noticed that uh, sort of all or nothing thinking taking place. And I I liked this idea of coaching um, because I, it's, you know, it's very fulfilling work, I'm sure for you as well, helping people do more of what they want to do. Um, so I looked at problems that I had myself <laughs> being uh, perfectionism and procrastination. And I sort of researched every modality out there, tested a lot of different things, trained in a lot of it and got sort of developed my own as many coaches do. And then I started posting it about it online and noticed that people reacted mostly to procrastination material because it was being presented as an emotional management problem and not a time management problem. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, I've got myself a business. There are clearly more people out here with a similar problem. And I doubled down in that and built up what I have now. So I know your your social handles, I believe it's with Coach Grace, right? So you, am I hearing that you you created that and started putting content out because you knew you wanted to out, like coach people in something, but you hadn't necessarily... Uh, nailed down the specific niche yet when you created those handles? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't fully articulated. And this goes back to your whole point of that you can iterate and pivot. You don't have yeah, to that's fascinating. Um, but procrastination was just one of the things that I posted on. It wasn't, you know, sort of my bread and butter things that I had built a whole, you know, programs around. It was just a component of it. What other, sort of what other types mindset. of things were you what other types of things were you talking about at first? And I guess I could go back on your social channels and look back at some of the videos, or maybe <laughs> you deleted you those by, yeah, by now. Um well I think when I first started, it was a lot more of the broad categories you see generalist mindset coaches talking about. Mm -hmm. So feeling unfulfilled maybe with your career, having self-sabotaging, other self-sabotaging behaviors, uh uh, whether that is uh, I talked more about people pleasing um, or more about what to do with burnout uh, or career change. I at one point was trying to go for a career coach, but um, in the beginning, it was definitely a bit more of throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> it was kind of like kind of like a, a life coach, kind of like a broad life coach. You threw some things out there, but this procrastination perfectionism thing is really the one that stuck. Exactly. Yeah. And I think partially, I'm sure because I posted more content around it, it was one of my biggest pain points that I worked through myself. Uh, but yeah, when people seem to react to that the most, because it was the most novel, I think it's hard to compete as a broad life coach 
because yes. there are plenty of other people out there doing it. Uh, but when you can pivot someone's mind about something, you can immediately flip, okay, actually, I've been trying to solve the wrong thing the whole time. I've been looking at organization, structuring my time. I'm just not disciplined. Instead of the fact that I'm avoiding feelings, oh, she has an answer. And yeah, niching down makes it a bit, I think becoming an expert in something helps you grow your business. Yes, but there's a there's an extremely valuable lesson here is that you you really didn't know what direction you were going, but you just started putting stuff out there, and um, so you created you created kind of a broad. Uh, uh, where'd you start? TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. So you started on TikTok, okay, and you you created a broad handle there. You started putting out fairly broad topics to see what the market would tell you. And I think that we could apply that to to really any niche. If somebody was wanting to get started with uh, with a brand on teaching people drumming, as an example, well, we your your best success isn't going to happen with a, a a generic broad drumming course. We've got to niche down even within the field of drumming some kind of way. But the best way to do that, the best way to niche down, is is create a TikTok or an Instagram or something like that, and just call it like you know, John teaches drumming or something like that and start putting out different, you know, styles of drumming, different, you know, I I don't, I don't know drumming. I don't know why I picked that example, but see what resonates. And then you can niche down that way and follow your lead your, which has been very successful. Yeah. And it it makes it sound easy (laughs) going back. Okay. Yeah. Just throw stuff out there, but you have to you have to basically plow through when you have all that stuff out of like, is anyone listening? Is this worth my time? All this stuff will come up in the process and you have to know that's normal. You also have to know that it's okay to completely start from scratch. I created a profile, it flopped and I just deleted it and started a new one. <laughs> you know? Did you really? Yeah, I did. And it's Was it okay a different name? Um, it's deleted now. I don't even me remember what I called it in the beginning but <laughs> if I pulled up the videos I'm you know if I still had somehow access to them I'm sure I'd be you know have that feeling of oh my gosh what amateur videos th- these were but it was my starting grounds and it allowed me to get more comfortable with just creating videos I think if you haven't been doing that before it's just very uncomfortable to sometimes film yourself listen to yourself edit it it's not like we learned this in school <laughs> um, and there are a bunch of teenagers doing it way better than we do. What, what, what you mentioned the word flop, like what, what, um, what did it look like for you to say, okay, this is a flop. I need to delete it and start over. Mm, I, at the point where I saw very little engagement uh, but I had posted a lot of stuff out there and the algorithm was just not even sending my videos to anyone. Uh, and so I think for me, it was easier to just, uh, you know, after having tried that for, um, for a little bit, delete that and start anew. So I didn't have to confront that every day. And instead, I placed a lot more of intentionality on my beginning videos and a lot, a bit more uh, focused attention on making uh, some quality ones to start it off and try to get the algorithm to 
recognize what type of people I was trying to reach and what area I was in. I just took what I basically learned through this first experiment that wasn't going well and tried a new a new experiment in a way. Don't you think that most people in your situation where they, they started this social channel, they, they're putting in the, the work, the effort, not seeing any results, most people, don't you think most people would delete it and not start a new one and give up? Yeah, I guess it depends on how badly you want it. I had a very real moment with myself and I would advise anyone else who's sort of in this this stage where you're wondering if it's worth your time to pursue it. And I wrote down, what will happen if I don't keep trying? And then it was every sort of reason that reminded to me, but at a deeper level of why I was even putting all this effort in. You know, I don't I didn't want to work for someone else. I wanted to work on my own time with my own freedom, as many people listening to this probably do. When I wrote down that list, it became very real. Okay, I have to I think there's what they call the dip where at the beginning you have to put in more effort and hear less feedback in return. Um, And maybe there's a point where you say I've put in too much effort to this and it's not working and I need to pivot. Uh, but for me, I when I sat down, I was like, okay, I'm just going to give it six months of my attention. I'm going to go at this with everything I've got for six months and make it a priority. Um, and if it ultimately I still get nothing, I still hear crickets, okay, maybe I look at another business idea. Um, but at that point, it was only about a month in, so I wasn't done yet. <laughs> it was a month in for what? For trying to post content. And that's all I was doing in the beginning. There was nothing else, no website, no anything. I was just trying to build a community. Okay. So once you created the second account with Coach Grace, which exists now, how long did it take to, or is that the one month? Like how long did it take for you to say, okay, this is working this time? Fortunately, that time it didn't take that long. It was about a week before my first video uh, started to gain traction. And I don't know if that uh, was luck, um, but it, I also, again, I doubled down in the research of what was working well. Uh, I looked at other uh, videos out there that seemed to get good traction and uh, started to see a few th- themes. And instead of just Going in with a complete ignorance, I had a little bit more knowledge that I applied this time in about, yeah, I would say around uh, my first, uh, maybe my seventh video um, of that week, it hit about 9,000 views, which for TikTok is kind of nothing, you know, it is not anything major, but it was enough for me to get a response and say, hey, you know, this is, this is something that I can keep at and I can see a clear reward with um, and engaging with everyone in the community at that point. I mean, there's still people who I know who followed from the start and they mean a lot, but really trying to hone in on that community element, I think helped build it. How did you go from there to monetizing this? So back to the whole overarching principle, which I always have, which is, you know, so sell yourself on the next step. Don't uh, (laughs) worry about the next thing as it comes up. Uh, Helped me a ton because as I said, I was like, okay, I want to run a coaching business. How do I do that? Well, I've got to find some clients. How do I find clients? Well, I'll have a community 
build people who know who you are. And that was my first thing was just looking at the videos. I had no professional photos. I had no website or any of that. But then once I started to notice my account got to about, you know, two, 3000 people, I thought, okay, I think I could take on my first paid client, but I didn't, I thought, okay, what's the easiest way to do that? Add a type form, add an application in my bio. And that was it. And then when I got on a, you know, had a call booked, it was, okay, how do I learn how to do a sales call? And then I learned that. And then when it was, they said, yes, was how do I learn how to invoice? So it was always, it was always a bit more tangible and doable. It didn't happen overnight. It was just when the step came up that I needed to learn how to do, I learned it and it felt a little, a lot less overwhelming that way. And how it got to where it is now, uh, it's kind of crazy to look back on, but it was built on all of those mini steps <laughs> along the way, rather than having something perfect and polished at the very beginning and making the kind of a decision of, okay, what makes sense now? Okay. I have a large audience. Now I'll build a program. <laughs> Okay, now I have a program and that's running really well. I want to try to niche to entrepreneurs. Okay, I'll build that. I love it. So let's let's get an, an idea of the timing of all this because we're not talking all that long ago, right? So around when was it that you maybe got that very first client? I've only had my coaching business for about two years now. So it's still very young about two years. So from there, you just kept putting content out there on TikTok. Eventually you maybe took the same content and put it on Instagram reels. Yeah. I think that focusing on one platform and one way that you grow organically is one, certainly one way to make it less feel over, make it feel less overwhelming because there's always more things you can do. <laughs> you have a lot of this, you know, sort of backlog in the back of your mind of, oh, I need to do this, 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 and this. And for me, keeping it on one platform was really helpful. Um, and then I eventually got to a point where that went well, and I just hired a social media manager to repurpose all of my content. And now Instagram has grown to about the same following TikTok has. One of the things that struck me about your business when we met, I don't know, a month ago or so was how simple it is. Even today, fast forward two years later, you have a very simple website. You still have a type form application funnel, and then you've got, um, you've got just a few programs and few ways for, for people, um, for you to help people. Um, I mean, do you, do you look at it as a pretty simple business model at this point? Yeah, I love Simplicity, simplicity, and I think I've really tried to embrace that. But I think one of the biggest things to combat <laughs> as an entrepreneur is shiny objects. <laughs> and um, we're we love problem solving, but sometimes you create too many problems for yourself, and that's when your business suffers. So I've tried to maintain that same simplicity first, so that when a person comes in and they want to work with me, it's very straightforward on how they can get help, and it depends on. And maybe what they're willing to invest and what level of support they want, but that's all they have to decide from. Well, what does your funnel look like? They find you on social media and then, and then where, where does somebody go from there? So from there, they might go straight to the application to work with me. Well, hold and on. Where, let's get a little more specific. Um, where, where do they even get to the application? 
Oh, yeah. So there's a, I have a standard link in bio. It doesn't go straight to the type form. It goes to a typical people use as a link tree, you know, mm-hmm. the one pager most people have in their profile. And other than, uh, once you get there, there's either, they can either click an application to work with me or they can click into one of my free resources if they click into one of my free resources, it is often funneling them into my passive course, which has still live coaching support. And if they go to my application, it's either funneling them to that same place, or if they're an entrepreneur, it might funnel them to one of my higher level programs. So I'm on your Instagram right now. Um, Grace Brodeur, Mindset Coaching, Overcome Perfectionism and Procrastination, Mindful Productivity, Tips for Working Professionals, Free Procrastination Tools. So I'm clicking your link here, gracebrodeur.com slash links. And we're just going to do this in real time here. It's loading. Because um, what you said was you're, you're, you're naturally pointing people to either more of the higher ticket application type stuff or the lower ticket course. So I'm on the um the link tree type page is this is this a kajabi page that i'm looking at right here no that's a show it page my website runs off show it show it okay all right so the first link is apply to work with me um get access to my free procrastination workshop or grab my free procrastination handbook so which of these three options i'm guessing not the first would would lead me to information about your course the all three would okay. <laughs> in a sense because if they if they pick the workshop, that's probably the most that is the most direct path to then get enrolled in my course. It initiates a deadline funnel where I inform them. Uh, I developed a workshop that informs them, gives them a lot of material. Uh, basically broken down into three secrets they need to know to overcome procrastination. Still helpful to watch. At the end, I say, if you want more support, I have a course. I run through what the course is and how you can still get access to live calls with me. And then they essentially have a window of time where that course is discounted for them. Alternatively, if they click the workbook at the bottom, it says the same thing if you want more access uh like more tools after reading this and that was helpful directs to the the funnel of the workshop the free workshop i give and if they enter all their information in the application but ultimately click something like i don't have that many resources to invest in my financial growth or they say are they maybe not my ideal candidate i have a lot of filtering built into my type form that might segment them to say, hey, it seems like you want help on this, uh, but you are looking for lower investment. Here's the program that I have. And I bring them to a program page with testimonials and everything. They can enroll that day if they wanted to. Sounds like you have a finely tuned funnel at this point that does a good job of of pointing people to the more passive course. You mentioned there is some support, but more passive course without you having to jump on a live call with them. But if they seem like they're really a good fit for some more like one-on-one or group coaching, then you will personally jump on a call with them? Yes, it will route to my calendar. 
So simple. Like people listening to this can just follow your model, right? Start a (laughs) social account, start throwing, throwing content out there, um, and seeing what sticks and then, you know, and then try to get one client and then just ramp up from there and look where you are today with a very successful coaching business that also has a course component as well. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently looking back over the past two years? That's a great question. Hmm. I think that one of, uh, hmm. one thing I might've done differently is when it gets you, no, I'm sure it gets to a certain point in your business where it makes sense to hire help. And you may not always know the best order to do that. You don't have to worry about that if you're just starting out. But I think once you start to reach the six-figure mark, especially, it makes sense to start delegating because you can very quickly become a bottleneck. And I think I waited a little too long and then I had to get sort of a mad dash of hiring people. And it's always a lot better to hire people slowly and find very quality team members. So that was, uh, I would say, a period of frustration and headaches uh, as I was, you know, getting people into my team. It wasn't aligning and I needed to quickly find another person. So I would say that's more of advice for the future. Um but I can take this and build what I'm really ha- also, since that might be too far in the future for some people, for the people starting out, I can maybe add advice. I'm really glad I implemented, um, which helped get me to that point of hiring people, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that when it comes to building a course, which a lot of people are on here to do, that when a, and I'm sure it's advice that's been put on your podcast before, but Um, to really emphasize that it's great to live teach at the start. And that is something I don't regret doing. Um, I taught the program now that is a course I originally live taught with just a small group of people, just six. And then I took those lessons uh, that I had to outline because I was live delivering because I committed to those people And it was so much easier to build it into a course and on top of that, have all their feedback along the way. And I went in saying, this is a, you know, this is the first time I've done this. So it reduces a lot of the fear of not delivering. You sell it at a lower cost than you might in the future. But that group was so foundational, that group of six people uh, to getting to the course that now helps hundreds (laughs) of people. And uh For me, I think then it was, I don't have to build every single module today. I just have to build the next module in the sequence to then teach people the following week. So much more doable. (laughs) And then at the end, you have a product that's probably better due to the input of others uh, having contributed to it, saying this was really helpful, this wasn't as helpful, and you can already have your second iteration. I love that. I I do. uh, That is something I recommend. Uh, I advise on this podcast as well. I've done that myself before, teaching it live to a small group of people first, even if the goal is a course and always is a course, that's still insanely valuable. And there's really, for me, there's really three key reasons. And you've hit, you hit on a couple of them, but one, the, the, the main thing is 
you get that feedback from people so that ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll focus on courses for this podcast, but ultimately your course will be that much better because you, you teach it to, to, um, to a group of people, you get their feedback, and then the curriculum and your course is that much better. Even if you've already got versions of your course, even if you're not brand new. I'm on the sixth version of my piano course right now, and I did that even after the fifth version. I had the fifth version, had lots of students, and I redid the curriculum going into the sixth version. Before I recorded it, I got a group of eight people together and taught it to them live so I could test it on them. And it was good, but there was a couple of things. Like I remember specifically the new day nine, I was super pumped about and I taught it to them and it went over really well. And it was, it was a new concept that I hadn't taught before. And I was like, I was, my ego was up here. I'm like, yes, this is the greatest course ever. And then the next session we did the new day 10 and it went right over their heads. They're like blank staring at me. I was like, okay, you know, way to completely bring you down. But I had, you know, imagine if I would have put that in the actual course, then I would have gotten so many questions about day 10. But since I taught it to these eight people live, I got that real time feedback and I knew that I had to explain that concept a different way. So it sounds like you experienced the same thing. But the other two advantages to doing that is you can record it. And for me, it's like a bonus with my course. Hey, not only do you get the pre-recorded course, but you get to see me teach it live. So you can see, you know, other people's progress, see the questions they're asking. And then the third thing that it can do is it can provide you with a boost of testimonials too. I don't know if you saw that with your your initial group that went through. Did they give you any testimonials? Yeah, it's so much uh, more doable to gain testimonials if you've worked with a person live. At, yes. Even if it's just for one session, so much more likely to get a glowing testimonial with that extra personal touch. And uh, I think that especially video testimonials can be all the more convincing for people looking to sign up. Yes. And you mentioned that you can do these, especially starting out at a, at a much lower price because the advantage, the, you know, some of these awesome things that you gain from it. And what I, what I've done and what I recommend is not only that, but you, you charge more of a normal price with the promise that they actually, if they show up and participate and do what you say, you give them a full refund at the end because they're, we're, we're not going to get any of these advantages. We're not going to get a testimonial. We're not going to, um, this isn't going to turn into a really great bonus if they don't show up every time and do the work because people want to see their progress and everything. So that seems to have worked really well where they do have to pay because when you pay, you pay attention, but then they get the full refund at the end. Sure. That's a an interesting piece of advice and one that I haven't used before, but I could see how that's helpful to get people to continuously show up. For me, it was my, my conditionality was you try this, you show up to, I think it was something like 90% of our calls. There were 12 total. I forget some number like that. And you complete uh, the uh, coursework um, that I was designing along the way. And if it doesn't work for you, then I will refund your money. So for some people, that might still apply some of that same motivation you're trying to tap into where it's, oh, if I drop off from this, I may not, and it doesn't work for me. I lose that opportunity. Uh, but thankfully, no one asked for a refund. <laughs> no, that sounds like a very similar concept there, because ultimately, you want people to get the result, because that's what helps 
drive these other things like testimonials and whatnot. For you, how did you, how were you able to define what it meant for its quote unquote working for them at that point? I rated it based off of satisfaction. I didn't tie in metrics or make it anything fancy, which of course I could have done, but that (laughs) again, we were going for simple. It was purely based off of if you don't feel like this did it for you, um, because I know a lot of people who come into working with me, I've tried a lot of things, they've read a lot of books, and that's part of why I offer this. If this doesn't work for you and you don't feel satisfied, uh, then I don't, and you did the you did the work, I don't ask for any sort of other metrics other than them showing their completed work, um, which I applied to the course now at the same same principle. It's just there's, uh, I don't obviously ask for them to show up to the meetings. I just ask that they complete the 12 modules and send in their homework. Um, and from there, it's just, it's more negative energy. I think for me personally, my opinion to, to get really nitty gritty and say, well, did it save you an hour? Did it save you two? Um, usually if they're satisfied, they wouldn't reach out to you. No, that's good. That's that's really great. That shows a lot of goodwill if if that's the stipulation basically and they're they're not uh requesting a lot of refunds, requesting a lot of money back. Yeah, fortunately there's I think it's maybe about to this point a 3 to 5% of a refund request. And I know for some people this may ultimately not even be the solution. Maybe they need something more in depth. So that's okay with me. Can you share, not to put you on the spot, but do you have, um, can you think of anybody that you've really helped um, with with your material that you could describe their situation like before you started working with them and then what your, what specific results they were able to achieve because you helped them deal with these procrastination tendencies? Sure. I'll use an example of a recent client who just finished up. A program and because he's an entrepreneur as well he came in and had a pretty good a decently successful business like he was operating on his own he had started to hire a couple people here and there uh, but ultimately had a ton of avoidance tendencies everything from when he wanted to implement something new he has a website design he felt like an imposter uh, with charging for the service. He felt guilty asking for testimonials. He felt guilty if it went a few days. A lot of people procrastinate responding to emails they don't know how to answer. He would let it go on for a week and um, then ultimately feel so bad that he <laughs> would never get back to certain clients. And so his fulfillment side was rather choppy. And he was also a huge bottleneck in his business because he was a perfectionist. He wanted to still have visibility on everything and maintain control. And so when we worked through all that on the flip side, he's now doubled his income. He's now hired more people to do some of the straightforward work for him. So he's less of a bottleneck there. Uh, he gets back and his self-talk is completely changed uh, instead of feeling like his head is full of shoulds and being hard on himself. Uh, he just shows up and has daily execution. That's, that's amazing. I, you know, I usually say that the, 
typically the main motivators for getting into something like this online course business, coaching businesses, things like that. You know, it's, it's being able to impact other people. It's being able to, to, to make, make money, um, and being able to have freedom. And it sounds like you're certainly doing all three of those things. You just shared one of the stories of, of impact. Um, as far as like money income goes, do you mind sharing like rough numbers of, of what this is allowing you to do and how successful it's been? Sure. Of course. So the business at this point where I, I have removed myself from a lot of the work except for content creation, some client delivery and occasional sales calls, um, those things I still actually really enjoy doing um, usually only require about 20 hours of my time per week, which was my happy medium vision I was shooting for. Um, and so that compared to, you know, the 50 hours a week, 60 hours, sometimes I was doing for corporate consulting um, work that did not fulfill me. Uh, <laughs> that's quite different. Um what I make has just about quadrupled um, from when I was at a corporate consulting job that still paid very well. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, and I was actually filling this out for a um, a blog the other day, an article, is that building my community has perhaps been the most fulfilling part of it. And that may come across as the cheesiest part is to someone listening but I think having the community the size I do and even if a person never works with me but they message me saying hey that reel just made my day it caused me to take action um following you for six months and it's you're my favorite creator things like that that I'm sure a lot of other creators experience that is what uh, usually motivates me to continue doing this work, but show up online and has just, it makes you feel like you're making a larger, much larger impact. And so both the community for my following, the community for people inside of my core program, Avoidance to Action, the entrepreneurs who I get to engage with on a day-to-day basis, like this is what I look at as the biggest thing. It's actually feeling fulfilled with what I do and like the impact is much larger than I ever anticipated when I sat down and started first recording TikToks. Yeah. I mean, helping people is just the best. It's such a good feeling to hear from people that you've directly had an impact on. And that's, that's the main thing that I didn't like about the job that I had. I was an electrical engineer and, you know, I didn't hate the job, the job, the, the work was kind of fun at times, but like, wasn't helping people. Nobody came to me like, Oh, Jacques, what, what you did programming that thing. Like it changed my life, you know, whereas getting emails from somebody, I got an, I got an email from somebody, um, saying that, you know, they never touched a piano, but, um, they picked it up at, you know, last January and, and by Valentine's day, they were playing an Ed Sheeran song for their wife. He had secretly been practicing and it brought tears to both of their eyes. And it was just an incredible moment. And that's, that's just, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's sometimes I think when you're in a standard nine to five job, there are jobs where you certainly see the impact, especially mm-hmm. if you're a service worker, uh, a bit more tangibly. Uh, but I was in the same case as you. I was a consultant and I was like, what is this even contributing to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're felt, you're not feeling entirely fulfilled the majority oh. of the time. 
Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. I certainly wasn't implying that, you know, you can't have that in any job. It's just, that's just what it was with my job. And typically with this line of work, you always get that um, because we are directly helping people with the things that we know, the things that are in our head. Yeah. So, and things that you've struggled with yourself. <laughs> often. Yes, absolutely. Um, just one or two questions left for you, Grace. Um, really appreciate you uh, sharing all this awesome stuff. Earlier in the conversation, you specifically said like, it's, you know, I was making it sound easy, but it's not, you know, your path isn't exactly easy doing all this, putting all the, you know, making the TikToks and all that. It's not necessarily easy. I think that you have, uh, you've created a fairly simple business and there's a big difference between simple and easy. And I think, um, uh, so I, I do think it's simple, but not necessarily easy. And I think that one of the biggest sticking points for people to succeed with this type of stuff is the traffic piece. A lot of times they'll go and they'll, the very first thing they'll do is create a course because that feels like the thing they can control the most, the thing they can actually do and knock out. And then maybe they build a website, maybe they build a funnel, but they still lack that traffic. And that's where you started. You've mentioned several times in this conversation, how important the community is for you. So if somebody out there is listening and they maybe they they went through it, what I would say the backwards way, and they've created a, the product and they've set some things up, but they're just not really, they haven't really built much traffic, built much of an audience, what would be your advice and recommendation to that type of person? That's a fantastic question because it's putting me in a position that's unfamiliar to me. So I'll, I'll certainly do my best. I think that there's still no harm and going to the next step of trying to build that community with that same problem that you're trying to solve that would be probably the most straightforward answer uh but then from there say you could maybe once you gathered up even a small list of people you know you get uh 50 likes on a video you may not think that's much compared to other creators but that's still 50 people who watched your video and thought hey this is valuable i want to save this for later once you get up to a place where you have a small community is uh, running a free event, I think is a great natural next step to take to show uh, to showcase a small portion of what you teach and why um, and, uh, you know, create a change in perspective when you change per like their perspective on something they've seen uh, entirely different their whole life. Okay. Um I might want to buy from you. And then you can ultimately pitch the course because you've built their trust up, you've educated them, and you've gotten to that point. So that that's probably one way you could go about it is, you know, now you have this product, great, you have something people can buy once they show they're interested. Uh, but I don't think it has to always come from uh, the form of video content like I did. I think ultimately going with something that... Um, with either a platform or modality that's uh, more meaningful or you feel like you can get behind is important, but that you actually see, you give it enough time to see it through fruition to like recognize itself. We were at the event we were at, there was someone who has an incredible blog with um, plenty of subscribers, right? And they have a course they're ultimately uh, trying to build now. But I asked him, like, how long did it take you to get pretty good traffic. And he said, I stuck with it for a full year. So I think managing your own expectations around how long you give it before you knock it is 
equally important in that process. Otherwise, you're always worried about wasting time and that you should just give up on that. Well said. I completely agree. Um, thank you, Grace. We uh, we hit this from from some good perspectives. Uh, you shared a lot of good information for uh, helping with these uh, procrastination tendencies. And then um, I think people are really going to get a lot of value out of hearing your your story and how you've gotten to where you are. Um, I promise you there will be people in the audience that uh, are dealing with some of these procrastination tendencies and, and one probably would, would want to take it further with you, whether it's just following your socials or maybe taking a step further, watching your free workshop or maybe working with you, uh, whether it's your course or your, uh, your coaching program. So to close this out, uh, just let people, you know, that type of person that's interested to learn more where they can go, uh, go learn more from you. Sure. And thanks for the opportunity to mention it. But the best place to start is, as Jock mentioned earlier, my handle is at with Coach Grace. And you can either find me on TikTok or Instagram. Uh, and from there, you will have a bank of content that you can make your way through if you wanted to just become more educated on this challenge of procrastination and why we have it. If that's interesting to you, then you can head to the workshop, which you'll find in my bio, or alternatively, you can search my website. It's gracebroder.com. Broder is B-R-O-D-E-U-R. People always get that flopped for some reason. Yeah, and I, I put a nice French twang on it, brodeur, but it's just broder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is Canadian. Somebody with the uh, the the French uh, first name, so Grace Broder. All right, Grace, thank you so much. Thank you, Jacques, and good luck to everyone who's listening on creating your own course. All right, that's going to do it there for that conversation. By the way, don't you just love that the two social media platforms Grace is on. TikTok and Instagram and really just Instagram reels are like the two most addictive and probably, you know, procrastinators use the most. Like, isn't that just so brilliant that those are the two platforms that she is on? I really think that. So thank you out there for listening to another episode here. And thank you to Grace for coming on and being so generous with her time and information that she shared with us. I want you to go follow Grace for really two reasons. One is she puts awesome content out there, and I think it's content that can really help most people out there. So if you're struggling with some of these things that we've been talking about, go follow her, and you're gonna learn a lot just from her social channels. She's on TikTok, she's on Instagram. Both of her handles at those places are with Coach Grace. So go check those out, give her a follow, but also, Check out how she's doing this short form video content and how she's built these incredibly thriving audiences that has allowed her to build such a lucrative course and coaching consulting business. Dissect what she's doing and see if you can mimic some of that success as well in terms of traffic and audience building. You know, I talked to her in the conversation about one of the biggest problems some people have is with the whole traffic and audience piece. I work with a lot of people that have all the other pieces, but they just don't have very much traffic at all. And that's because they haven't done the traffic piece right. And more and more today, I'm seeing success stories like Grace, where they kept it super simple, started on a platform like TikTok, of all places, and just was consistent with putting out this amazing 
content and slowly but surely built up an audience, monetized that audience, and is living a life that they want to, making more money than they ever were, and impacting, truly impacting other people. So go check out Grace's stuff, follow her stuff, and some of you might be a good fit for some of her programs or course, so you know how to find that as well because we kind of went through some of her funnels too. That's going to do it here. You can find the show notes by going to oc.show slash 192. That's oc.show slash 192. And remember the free training I told you about at the beginning of the podcast. That is my workshop called the Online Course Business Formula. If you want to follow a proven formula to find success with an online course business, then head to ocformula.com. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you next time. 